Amen. All right, remain standing and we will recite our verse for the month. So do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. Hebrews 10.35. All right, you can be seated. All right, so we are uh, continuing along our series uh, entitled Let's Eat. And we're looking at the Feast of the Old Testament and how these feasts point us forward to the truth of the gospel. Last week we talked about the Passover um, and how that points us to Jesus himself. How he instituted the first Lord's Supper on the night of the Passover and why that uh, institution actually points to him. Tonight we'll move on to our next feast. Um, My son Eli loves random facts, random information. Uh, Half of his sentences approximately begin with the question, did you know, and then he'll give you a random fact. So, in honor of Eli, today I will be starting off with a random fact. Ready? Did you know that Pizza Hut once delivered a pizza to space? That's right, outer space to the International Space Station. Did you know that, Eli? No? Now you know. There's one you could add to your facts. Pizza Hut once delivered a pizza to space. That's right. In 2001, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Usachov received a six-inch personal pizza delivered to him on board the International Space Station via a Russian supply rocket. Pizza Hut reportedly paid $1 million for this stunt, and because of all the money that they put in, they were able to put a 30-foot-tall Pizza Hut logo on the side of the Russian supply rocket that brought these supplies to the International Space Station for the Russian crew. Now, this wasn't your typical pizza. Um, It was freeze-dried, made with a special process that would allow it to last for 60 days, and it was made with ingredients that were designed to be eaten in zero gravity. Uh, Salami had to be used instead of pepperoni because the pepperoni would have been moldy by the time it reached the International Space Station. And it wasn't a put-together pizza. It was a pizza kit that Usachov had to put together himself. So it wasn't exactly a Pizza Hut pizza, But I think it still counts, right? That's as close to pizza as we're going to get. Now, here's a lousy part of that situation. NASA did then and still has now a policy that prohibited its astronauts from participating in any kind of commercial endeavors. They prohibit any kind of advertising. Maybe they don't want their rockets to look like NASCARs. I, I have no idea. Um, But because of that policy that was in place, the American astronauts were not allowed to have any pizza delivered to them. And so, they had to watch as Usachov and the other Russians chowed down Pizza Hut while they ate their typical dehydrated space food. Uh, Perhaps it was this situation that led United States astronaut Mike Massimino to make the statement... The tragedy of spaceflight is that you can't get pizza. Here's a guy that's been to space more than once, and his takeaway is the tragedy of spaceflight is that you can't get pizza. 
Massimino, who holds the distinction of the first person to ever tweet from space, was interviewed for Wired magazine and went into a lot of interesting detail about how astronauts eat in space. And as you can imagine, eating is way different when you are in orbit. Zero gravity, for example, means that liquids act differently. Here on Earth, you can take a liquid and pour it into something. In space, it floats in bubbles. Uh, food cannot be made with bread because crumbs floating everywhere would be a disaster. Straws have resealable caps so that when the uh, astronauts are drinking out of their high-tech Capri Sun pouches, they can take a sip and then reseal the straw so that all of their drink doesn't go floating out of it. And so at NASA's facility in Florida, there's a special kitchen lab where all of the foods are designed that will be eaten in space. And they're very similar to military MREs. I don't know if you're familiar with MREs. My grandfather used to talk about the MREs that uh, he would eat in Vietnam. And they're these prepackaged pouches that are pretty much disgusting. And so one of my grandfather's statements that he would say over and over and over as I was growing up, we'd be sitting down to dinner at my grandparents' house, and he'd finish his plate, and he would go, better than the MREs. <laughs> he'd say that all the time. And so space food is kind of like MREs. They're, they're in these airtight pouches. They typically come dehydrated and freeze-dried. Meals that have to be heated um, are plugged in into the, uh, in the shuttle into this hot water nozzle. And the hot water comes into the pouch, and they'll have to massage the pouch and mix it all together, and then tear it open and eat it with a spoon. And every single one of these meals is designed to be compact and nutrient-dense because there's only so much storage space on a space shuttle. So food has to be very light and at the same time dense in calories. As more and more time has gone on, more varieties of food have been made available, of course much to the delight of astronauts, but not everything is popular. Um, in fact, Massimino made it very clear that the astronaut ice cream that all of us have heard about is awful. He said it's absolutely terrible. He said, no astronaut ever, ever eats the ice cream. It's horrible. The reason you always see ice cream packs in the museums is because there are so many left over because everyone hates it and refuses to eat it. So, if you're ever in a place that's selling astronaut ice cream... Think twice. Now, Massimino explained that it's not that the food is bad, necessarily, but it's not what you're used to, and that you look forward to coming back to Earth and having real food. Massimino holds another unique place in history. In addition to being the first man to tweet from space, he is one of the only people to ever order a pizza from space. That's right. During one of his missions, he emailed a pizza place in Florida from the space shuttle in orbit. From his computer station there orbiting the Earth's atmosphere, he sent a message to a pizzeria that was close to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, telling them exactly when he would be arriving home and what his hotel room number was, so that when he arrived back to Earth, that pizza would be delivered and ready and waiting for him. That is how bad this dude wanted real pizza. 
ordered it from space. And it makes sense, right? It, it's, not that, it's not that they're starving. They are nourished. In fact, uh, Massimino was one of two people on the crew who actually gained weight on the trip. It's not that they don't have food. They just don't have real food. I, I mean, it's real in the sense that they're eating it and it's edible, but it's not home cooking, right? Astronauts must eat MREs specifically created for the journey. They don't have the time, the room, or the ability to cook normal food. It nourishes their bodies, but it's temporary. It's not forever food. It's something that quickly fills their stomach while they are on mission as they look forward to getting home and eating the good stuff. What we will see is that the same is true about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened bread, as you know, is basically a cracker. And for the Jews, it served as an experiential analogy. It specifically analogized two things, purity and mission. The Jews would eat it and be reminded that they needed to be pure from sin and that they needed to be ready at a moment's notice to leave Egypt. In the same way, we see it as a reminder that our redemption from sin includes a calling to now live righteously and also to remember that we are not home yet. For us, this feast will be a spiritual reminder that we are on mission on this version of earth and we can't live like this is our home. Astronauts don't live on space shuttles. They are on temporary mission. And the same is true for us. So we always have to live like that. And as part of our rhythms, sometimes we have to eat like it too. So let's look at a few places in scripture um, that will talk about the feast of unleavened bread. The first is Deuteronomy 16 verses 1 through 8. Deuteronomy 16 verses 1 through 8. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock of the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. That all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days. Nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you. But at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there shall you offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall, you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. The second place that we're going to look is Exodus chapter 13, verses 3 through 10. Exodus 13, verses 3 through 10. Then Moses said to the people, 
Remember this day in which you came up out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, my dynasty, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial on your eyes that the law of the Lord your God may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. And then finally, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 through 8. Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 8. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first months... On the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So, When we take these passages together, we see that Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are celebrated in conjunction with one another. The Passover was the 14th day of the first month, and then on the 15th day, the Feast of of Unleavened Bread begins, and that feast lasts for seven days. Last week, we talked about the Passover and how it tells the story about how God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. He commanded them to sacrifice a spotless lamb and then cover the doorpost of their house with the blood of the lamb. And when the angel of death was to come through and and take the firstborn of each house, the houses that were covered by the blood of the lamb would be passed over. And so when the Israelites would eat this meal, they would remember being set free from Egypt. Then we saw how Jesus reframed the Passover by instituting the Lord's Supper. And he took all of the elements of the meal and he showed how those elements of the meal pointed to him. And he established the new practice of eating that supper in remembrance of him. That he is the perfect lamb whose blood covers us for all of eternity. He is the one who gives us freedom from the slavery to sin and causes the judgment of God to pass over us. And so we call him to mind every time we partake. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is simply the other side of the same coin. Passover and Unleavened Bread are are celebrated in conjunction because they're the right hand and the left hand of the same story. Passover reminds us that we have been set free. Unleavened Bread reminds us to continue to walk in that freedom. So Passover is about us being set free. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is about continuing to walk in freedom. One commentator put it this way. The Passover reminds us that he's freed us from sin, 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us not to live in any future sin. Another called this feast a celebration of choosing Jesus over sin. So I'll sum it up like this. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is astronaut food. It's what we eat on mission to remind us to live rightly and to remember that we are not home yet. So let's look at what leaven represents in Scripture and how that directly applies to us. And we'll see that leaven primarily represents two things, sin and speed. So here's point number one. Your heart is a pitcher, not an ice cube tray. Your heart is a pitcher, not an ice cube tray. The first thing that we need to understand is that leaven represents the way that sin permeates the entire person. It cannot be compartmentalized to one section of a ball of dough. It permeates the entire batch of dough. Leaven is what causes dough to rise. And so without dough, uh, I'm sorry, without leaven, bread dough makes crackers. And it doesn't take much leaven to make the dough rise. Just a little bit and you no longer have a cracker. So interestingly, God uses this analogy to explain what it looks like when we have sin in our lives. Pride causes us, causes us to become puffed up. And even a little bit of sin is enough to make us entirely sinful. Now there's nothing immoral about leaven itself, but it serves over and over as an analogy. For example, Leviticus chapter 2.11 gives this law regarding grain offerings brought to the Lord. It says, No grain offering you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. Later on in chapter 6, he expands on this by explaining that Aaron and the priest are to only offer unleavened bread to the Lord. And that they are to eat that unleavened bread in the most holy place. And he calls this unleavened bread... A thing most holy. Now, there's a lot of strange things in the Old Testament. We've looked at some of those strange things, right? In the book of Leviticus, all those laws. And we talked about how all those laws are experiential analogies. They're tangible reminders. And so this is not unlike the laws regarding wearing clothing made with mixed um, fabric. Or to sow only one kind of seed in a particular field. The point was to give the people tangible reminders, things that they could experience with their senses, things that were not mixed with any other stuff, things that were pure, things that were undefiled, things that were set apart. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 through 12, Jesus specifically refers to the teaching of the Pharisees as leaven. So looking at Matthew 16, and I didn't put this on the screen. uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 through 12. It says, When the disciples had reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began to discuss it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 or how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? 
How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The the disciples, I love how literal they are, right? They're always a step behind, and Jesus has to catch them up, right? They're like, why why is Jesus talking about bread? Uh, Pharisee bread? We've never had Pharisee bread. And Jesus kind of rolls his eyes a little bit, and he's like, guys, I'm talking about what leaven represents, okay? Not about literal leaven. I'm talking about what the leaven is supposed to remind you of. In a parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, Jesus flat out says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so he was saying, if you're just a little bit of a hypocrite, you're a whole loaf of hypocrite. You can't just be part hypocrite. You are all hypocrite. You cannot compartmentalize your sin. That's what we're driving at here. You cannot compartmentalize your sin. Finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul explicitly states that sin is like leaven and it permeates the entire person. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He, he connects it here to the, the Passover, and he connects that Passover meal and its elements to exactly what we're talking about here, what it represents about purity. Remember, Mike Massimino talked about how the food that they eat comes dehydrated and has to be plugged into that nozzle in order to be eaten. Well, he shows this video of it happening. You have this pouch of this ugly, dry food that looks entirely unappealing. And then you plug it into this thing and water shoots into the pouch. And the astronaut massages it and mixes it all in. And it becomes, I assume, a more enjoyable thing to eat, though it doesn't look like it. Here's what we need to understand about sin. Like that water, we can't compartmentalize it into one little area. When it shoots into our life, it is all there. But if we're honest, we all too often believe that we can compartmentalize our sin. We have these little things that we think are totally under our control. Things that nobody else has to know about. Things that we can do in secret. And we say, you know what, this is not going to affect anybody else. This doesn't have to be discussed with anyone else. No one else has to be hurt by this. This is just going to remain over here in the dark, away from everything and everyone, and I'm going to hold on to this, and it won't affect the rest of my life. But sin does not work like that. Sin permeates the entire person. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. We can't mess around and pretend that we can serve two masters. If we serve one, it will be with our entire heart. So, let me show you an analogy of what this looks like. Um, Marisol, 
Can you come up here, please? I need, uh, I need your help with, uh, with a little illustration. Come on up here on stage for me, babe. Stand right here behind this here table. Why don't we give Marisol a hand? Okay, so we have here some water in an ice cube tray. And we have some water in a pitcher. And here we have Mio. This is a flavoring that can make your water delicious. So, Marisol, what I would like for you to do is add some Mio water right here into this corner of the ice cube tray. Go ahead and put it in there and mix it up with the straw. Very good. Is that some good-looking Mio water? You can't see this, but now this clear water has turned blue. Okay. Now I want you to take the straw right here and drink some water. Is that good? No? Does it taste like Mio? No? Okay, how about this one? Try, try this one. Does that taste like Mio? No? That's weird. We added Mio. Okay, hold on. Let's try this one. Go over here. How about that one? Does that taste like Mio? Now, you added Mio, right? You saw her add Mio water, right? But none of these taste like Mio, right? Okay, well, that's... Let's put that down for a second. Here, here you go. Now add a couple of drops into this one. Okay, that's plenty. Thank you. Was that a good addition of Mio water or what? Right. So now take the straw and stir it up a little bit. Good. All right, now try that one. Does that one taste like Mio? All right. Okay, give her a hand, will you? All right, you can take the straw and head on down. Straw's your gift to keep. <laughs> okay, head on down there, babe. So, what's the point of this illustration? The point of this illustration is that we often try to live our lives as if our hearts are ice cube trays. That we can separate everything into these little compartments. And if I add something over here, I'm not going to taste it over here. Or over here, or over here, or over here. I'm only going to taste it here. We act like our hearts are like ice cube trays. I can have my marriage over here. I can have my friendships over here. I can have my personal life over here. And over here in this little corner, this is where I keep my sin. But it doesn't work like that. Your heart is not an ice cube tray. Your heart is a pitcher. And so whatever you pour into that pitcher is going to go into the whole thing. Every corner, every bit of water is going to be affected by whatever comes from the top. Your heart is a pitcher, not an ice cube tray. If you fill your heart with the righteousness of Christ... That righteousness is what's going to fill every bit of your heart. But if you choose to inject sin into your heart, it will cover everything, even just a little bit. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, You died to sin. How then can you live in it any longer? Because people were asking the question, Well, if God is just going to forgive me, 
If God's just going to give me grace, well, then I can just keep walking in sin because God's going to give me grace, right? And Paul rejects that idea, and he says, no, you don't understand. That's not how grace works. You died to sin. You made the decision to, to walk away, to separate, to become unleavened, to throw out the old and fill yourself with the new. How then can you live in the same way? And so what the Feast of Unleavened Bread invited people to do was to self-examine. To ask the question, am I living my life with pure intentions? Or am I trying to use God like a get-out-of-hell-free card? Am I trying to compartmentalize every area of my life where I think it's okay to have stuff here, but it won't affect everything else? No, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a constant rhythm to get people thinking, every part of my life must be pure. And a key practice in remaining free from sin today is remembering how you've been freed from it in the past. We pursue purity in the present by pondering our deliverance in the past. That's what's being illustrated by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is an undefiled cracker. It doesn't rise at all. It stays flat. It's got nothing to make it puffed up. It stays low. And again, what is unmistakable is that Christ tells us that this represents him. Remember, last week we talked about the Passover and how Christ takes that meal and points all the sight lines at himself. And part of that meal was unleavened bread. He took that pure bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In doing so, he was telling his disciples that he is the only one who is completely and fully pure. He is the only one who is completely sinless, without even a single drop of Mio water anywhere. And so he's the savior that we so desperately need because he is the only one who can pay the penalty for us. So ultimately what this does is it points us to the purity of Christ and our need for him. It is for us an experiential analogy that as we eat unleavened bread, we're filling our hearts with the righteousness that only the sacrifice of Christ can provide. It is a righteousness that we cannot achieve on our own. We need him to give it to us. We need him to provide it for us. It is outside of us and placed into us by Jesus. Without the righteousness of Christ being imputed to me, I am going to remain impure. Which is why Jesus used the statement, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He is the pure, undefiled sustenance for our souls. The Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us what we ought to be consuming. It should cause us to examine our hearts, examine our lives. What am I consuming? Is it pure or is it impure? Now, I wish I could pull this off, but I can't, so you'll have to use your imagination. If I were to take a water hose and drag it over here and turn on that water hose and put that water hose into this pitcher and leave it running, what would happen is it would displace all of the water that's in there right now. All of this meal water that's in here would be displaced by the running water 
of the hose. And every drop of this would be replaced with clean, pure water. Assuming that's what comes out of the hose, right? That's what Jesus does for us. He fills our hearts with his righteousness. That is the beauty of the gospel. Symbolized by unleavened bread. So that's the first thing. The second thing that unleavened bread represents is speed. So, here's point number two. Astronauts don't live on spaceships. Astronauts don't live on spaceships. There is an unmistakable detail given by God regarding the reason why the Israelites were to eat unleavened bread. And it's found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. Exodus 12, verse 11. Cliffhanger. All right. We're back. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Another way of putting this is eat with your shoes on. This meal was basically an MRE. That stands for meal ready to eat. It is on the go. This was not meant to be a laid-back, relaxed, five-course buffet. Exodus 12, 11 says, Eat it with haste. You're in a hurry. Eat it with your shoes on. It's go time. Mike Massimino, the astronaut that we were talking about, spent a total of 23 days, 19 hours, and 47 minutes in space over the course of two missions, which means that's about three weeks, just over. He visited space. He didn't live there. Now, I don't know if technology will ever reach a point where humans can spend their entire lives in space. I hope the answer to that is no. But today, we are nowhere near that place. So the point is, Mike Massimino knew that he wasn't going to be in space forever. He knew that he would soon be returning to earth and there would be pizza waiting for him when he reached earth. He could send an email, order a real pizza, and have that thing to look forward to when he got back. And as he ate the dehydrated space food in its little pouches, he could close his eyes and think about pepperoni and cheese on dough, fresh out of an oven, all melted together, steam rising, filling the room with the scent of deliciousness. The MREs weren't bad, but he missed pizza. 
but he knew that he would eat it soon. His mission was temporary. Soon he would be home with a plate of pepperoni pizza. This is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be a reminder to the Israelites. In the second half of Exodus chapter 12, the Lord is going to execute the the firstborn of all of the Egyptians. And it tells us that he does this at midnight. And so at midnight, this plague occurs, and it says that there's this outcry throughout the entire uh, land of Egypt. And there in the middle of the night, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron. And he says to them, take your people and leave now. In the middle of the night, leave now. Verse 33 says, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people are like, go now. I don't care what time it is, go now. And remember, when God instituted this feast and he told them, here's what I want you to do with the unleavened bread. I want you to eat it with your shoes on. I want you to be ready. Because in the middle of the night, the call's going to come. Verse 34, so the people took the dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they had let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough they had brought up out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So what they have to eat is unleavened dough. Because that's what you eat when you're in a hurry. That's what you eat when you don't have time to make bread. You don't have time to sit there and let it rise, okay? So unleavened bread is drive-through food. It's not sit-down. This is not a sit-down meal. This is an MRE. The Israelites had to eat with their shoes on. They had to eat in haste because they knew at any moment we're going to be called out of our houses and we're going to be called out of the land of Egypt and we're going to go home. We're going to go where we belong We're going to go to the place promised for us. The same ought to be true of us as Christians. That we eat with our shoes on. That we know that at any moment the call is going to come and we're going to go home. We're going to be rescued and everything's going to change. When Paul counseled Timothy to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he said to him, In 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier doesn't get wrapped up in civilian pursuits. A soldier focuses on the mission. Far too often Christians live like this is our home. And that is downright goofy. We don't often live all that differently from the people who are around us. We, we set our goals on the American dream. 
We hitch our wagons to politicians who promise to usher in some era of prosperity or, or, or freedom that was so much better than what we had before. We make possessions and experiences so much more important than they should be as if we're not going to have those things in the next life in spades. Or, or we go to work every day, we go to school every day, thinking that the primary reason that we're there is to get an education or to get a paycheck. Listen to me. The primary reason that you're going to the office tomorrow, or you're going to class tomorrow, or you're going to the kitchen tomorrow, is not for the paycheck. It's not for the education. The primary reason you are going there is to be on mission. You are not home yet, and the people that you will encounter there are not home yet either. And the reason why God has you where he has you is so that you can be the gospel presence in that oikos. Your job or your class or whatever station you are in life is the platform, is the space shuttle that he has given you for the mission. And sometimes you have to eat space food with your shoes on to give you a tangible reminder that that is what you are on, mission. You don't live here. You ain't from here. You are from the future. You're only visiting. You know, Mike Massimino was only in space for 23 days. That doesn't seem like very long. Guess what? In in light of eternity, if you're here for 80 years... That ain't going to be that long. That's a brief visit. This is a visit. You don't live here. You live in the future. And you are trying to bring as many people with you as possible. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a spiritual reminder to us. Eat like you're on mission. Eat like you're not going to be here for very long. Eat like you know that what's coming when you get home is going to be so much better. When we sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb in the kingdom of God, and there is steak and bacon sizzling across that table, I believe that there will be, okay, there will be bacon trees in heaven. Don't judge me. There'll be plenty of it to go around. Pigs don't have to die for there to be bacon. All right, God is able. Amen. When we're there at the wedding feast of the Lamb, it will be perfect. And that community is what we are all about. One of the interesting things that Mike said in his interview was that they discovered in their research that one of the ways to keep morale high one of the ways to boost your, your physical and mental health was to make sure that every night you were eating in community. He said that they noticed this from the Russian crews that were on the International Space Station, that every night they would gather around a table and share a meal. And the longer you are in space, the more isolated you become and the more you need to eat those meals around a table together in community. He said, no matter what, when we're up there, we're still people. And we still have the same needs. And one of them is community. And so, here's your take home, okay? Every week I try to give you something practical to do. Here's something practical for you. 
go to the store and buy some unleavened bread. That can be matzo crackers, something, whatever it is. I literally, I googled to see if goldfish crackers were unleavened. Turns out there's leaven in goldfish. I had no idea, which is a total bummer. Find something that is unleavened. Uh, I think Triscuits are unleavened, so uh, take that home and uh, put that in the bank. Go and buy some unleavened bread, whatever you want. And then at some point this week, eat that snack with your family. Do it with your shoes on and face the door. And as you're eating those crackers together, have a conversation pray together, say to one another, we are on mission, and this is a tangible reminder. And if you're doing this with kids in the house, they're going to ask questions, right? They're going to be like, why are we eating Triscuits facing the door? (laughs) It's a perfect opportunity to explain. We are eating this as a reminder that this is not our home. And if you want to take those Triscuits to work with you and eat them at your desk, and as you do, Throughout the day, snack on these things. Let it be a reminder, the reason why I'm here at work, the reason why I'm in this office, the reason why I'm in this class munching on these dry, awful crackers when I could be eating so many other things is as a tangible reminder to me, I am supposed to be living as if I'm on mission. I'm an astronaut eating space food. I'm not from here and I'm trying to take as many people home with me as I possibly can. The Feast of Unleavened Bread teaches us to live in purity and to live on mission. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for tangible reminders. Lord, thank you that you understand our nature so perfectly. You know that we need things to put our hands on. In order to understand, we need things that are tangible, that we can experience with our senses. So thank you for giving us reminders like this. Thank you for giving us reminders that we can literally walk through, perform and practice, hold with our hands, that tell us that we are to live pure lives on mission for Jesus. Help us to keep in mind all that you've done for us and all that you've called us to do now. God, I pray for any person who is here or who is watching right now or listening on the podcast right now who has never surrendered, who's never come to a place where they've given their life to Jesus. I I pray for those people that are viewing earth as their home. Like, this is it. The most important thing. 